All right, good morning, everyone. I'm glad to have you with us today. Uh, if you didn't get any of the Sunday School notes, uh, make sure you flag down the ushers as they go by, and they will get you uh, one of the handouts. So it's been, uh, it's been my privilege. Uh, the last, last Sunday School quarter we had, it was a, a very abbreviated quarter uh, because of the missions conference and then some other things. Easter Sunday was in there as well. Um, but the topic that I, I had the privilege to teach on uh, was prayers of the Bible. And uh, just as we went through some of these different, um, different prayers, uh, it was just really uh, neat to see how God, um, how people talk to God in different settings, in different occasions. And uh, so I want to take this morning and kind of give a, a summary of some lessons that I, that I learned, some things that I noticed, uh, general themes throughout these prayers uh, from the Old Testament, from the New Testament, and just kind of take away some observations and some applications about them. And so I've titled, uh, titled the lesson this morning, How Shall We Then Pray? Um, what, what does this all mean to us? And I hope I can boil it down in a, in a sense that really, uh, that really captures the sense of each of these prayers uh, without, missing, uh, without missing the details as well. Um, so I pray that uh, that, that will, will be beneficial for you. Uh, before we do that, I think uh, with a topic like this especially, it's fitting that we open with prayer. So why don't we start with prayer, and then we'll get into God's Word. Our Father, uh, we are just thankful that we can come before you this morning. Lord, that we can gather as your people who are called... Uh, by your name, Lord, that you called us out of darkness uh, to your marvelous light. Lord, and I just thank you for the church that you have brought together here. Lord, that as we uh, have come to you, Lord, you've brought us together with one another as well. Lord, we thank you for your word that can, can challenge us, can encourage us, can give us direction uh, for life, for our, uh, for our application, Lord, for our, our daily living. Lord, we just thank you that you don't leave us to, to wonder about, about how we should live, but you, you give us instructions, you give us examples. And so, Lord, we just pray that as we talk about the topic of prayer this morning, Lord, that you would just allow each of us uh, to be molded, uh, to be changed by your word. And Lord, we just ask that, uh, that this topic would be beneficial for each of us as we, as we think about uh, how we talk to you. Lord, that it would be just a very personal uh, but yet very helpful uh, time of reflection. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would be glorified this morning uh, through this lesson. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not sure if you remember, uh, but maybe uh, 15, 20 years ago, I think it was, uh, there was a, a kind of a craze that went through the broad evangelical circles. Uh, from First Chronicles 4.10, uh, let me read those verses for you. Or 4, 9, and 10. Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, and that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. And from those two short verses, there were books upon books written about how you can name your, your goal for God, and he would bless you, and he would provide it. And um, I, think, I think, I'm pretty sure that we read, or people read a lot too much into that prayer. Um, so this morning, I will try not to, to read things into the prayer that aren't there, uh, to not make applications that are not valid applications for us. Uh, but there are several different prayers in the Old Testament that are, that are a little more extended, uh, Old and New Testament, uh, that I want to look at and just consider. And so through the, through the last quarter, uh, here are just some of the, the prayers that we, that we looked at. And I'm going to give you a brief synopsis of the context of these so that as I reference them throughout the rest of the lesson, uh, you're familiar with, with where it comes from, what the setting is. Um, in 1 Chronicles 17, uh, this is uh, David's prayer of gratitude, we'll call it. 
And it takes place right after David gets some news from Nathan, the prophet. And it was in this setting that uh, David had requested the privilege of being able to build a temple for God. And Nathan had initially said, do, do what you want to do. You know, God's behind it. And then God came and gave Nathan a different message. And he basically said, I don't want you to be the one to build me a house, to build me the temple. But God established a covenant with David and said, I will establish your descendants on the throne forever and basically established the Davidic covenant uh, here with him. And so this prayer in 1 Chronicles 17 is David's response to God uh, after he gets this, this news from Nathan the prophet. And so David is, is, is showing his gratitude, showing uh, how overwhelmed he is at God's mercy and grace to him. And so that's, uh, that's what we see there in 1 Chronicles 17. Uh, the second prayer uh, that we uh, will consider is in Psalm 51. Again, after David and Nathan have had some discussions. But uh, this one is in a, a much different light. Uh, it's David's prayer of repentance uh, after his sin with Bathsheba, uh, when David finally comes before God and says, God, uh, I have done wrong. I need your forgiveness. And uh, so an extended prayer there in Psalm 51. Uh, moving on in Israel's history, we come to a, an extended prayer written out for us in 1 Kings 8, uh, 22 to 53. And this is, this is Solomon's prayer of dedication uh, for the temple. So this was, you know, David's goal was one day to be able to build this temple uh, for God. God said no, said one of your sons will build it. So David collected all the material, uh, Solomon spends years building this temple, and finally it's completed. And on this day, as, as Solomon and all the people there gather to dedicate the temple, uh, God's Spirit comes down on the temple, and Solomon uh, prays this prayer of dedication, basically a, a national prayer uh, for, for his people that, uh, interestingly, is not all positive. Uh, and we'll see, we'll see some elements of that here as we look at, at different themes in these prayers. Uh, but he's, he's very realistic in his prayer. He prays that, you know, when we turn away from you, we want you to punish us. Uh, and we'll see why he prays something like that. Uh, moving forward in, in Israel's history, uh, Daniel's prayer for restoration recorded in Daniel chapter 9 uh, here Daniel is reading through the law uh, as he's in exile, as he's in captivity. He's reading through the law, and he comes across the, um, the fact that when, when God would uh, take his people into exile, that he would restore them. And then in other prophecies from Jeremiah, he reads that that would be, time period would be uh, 70 years and realizes that that time is almost up. And so we have a prayer recorded uh, that Daniel is coming before God and saying, God, you've promised to do this. You've promised to restore us. Please do that. And uh, so Daniel uh, issues that prayer uh, for the restoration of Israel. Uh, then John 17, this is the longest prayer that we have uh, by far recorded, us, recorded for us that Jesus prayed. And uh, this is uh, after the Lord's Supper, after he's kind of given his, his farewell speech to the disciples, uh, he prays. He prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. He prays for those that will follow him after that. And then uh, this one is uh, quite a bit shorter, but I wanted to put it in here because it, it's in our stage in church history. Uh, more than the others, uh, the Apostles' Prayer for Boldness. Uh, and this takes place in Acts chapter 4 uh, after uh, several of the disciples were out preaching. Uh, they get called before the Sanhedrin and they get, they're given basically an ultimatum uh, saying, you need to be quiet or, or else. Uh, you know, they're, they're not specifically given the or else, but uh, 
But that's the, the gist of it. Uh, basically, you're not allowed to talk about Jesus anymore. And so in response to that, uh, they all gather together, and it says they pray with one accord and lift up their voice and basically just ask God for boldness to continue doing uh, what he says they are to do. And so with these, with these prayers in mind, these are some of the, the longer, more extended prayers that we have in the Bible. Uh, now, you, it's recorded that you know, Jesus would often go, go off and pray all night. Um, it's recorded that you know, some of the saints prayed for days on end. Uh, we don't have the content of those prayers. I would love to read you know, what someone prays for for three or four days straight um, in some of these situations. But unfortunately, that, that's not something that the Holy Spirit saw fit to include in Scripture. Uh, so these are some of the, the longer, uh, more extended prayers that we have to go off of. And so just looking at these, I want to pull out uh, a few observations that make some applications to, to our personal prayer life and uh, maybe have some time at the end to, to run through uh, an example for us. All right, first of all, there's an explicit uh, or implicit acknowledgement of the relationship to God. So in all of these prayers, or most of these prayers, uh, there's some sort of, of relationship or relational speech uh, between the person and God. And this can take several different forms uh, we'll look at. So there's, first of all, there's a corporate affiliation. So collectively, uh, the people that I belong to, whether it's an individual praying or in Solomon's case, it's a group um, praying together there, uh, but there's some sort of collective identity before God. Uh, and in the Old Testament, uh, we see this often um, being in connection with the nation of Israel. I mean, they take center stage in most of the Old Testament, so that's not a surprise. And the fact that a lot of the prayers that we looked at are, are geared around national events. Okay, so that's not a surprise. But, uh, for example, in First Chronicles 17, David's prayer, uh, he makes the statement, For you have made your people Israel, your very own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. Fast forward to, to Solomon. Uh, you notice how, how often in here he refers to Jehovah as the God of Israel. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. You have kept, your promise, you ca you have kept what you promised your servant David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David, my father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of, of Israel. Only if your sons take heed to their way that they walk before me as you walked before me. And now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. Move forward a few hundred years, and Daniel is saying, Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city, Jerusalem, and your people are called by your name. Uh, so bringing in that identity of, of Israel, that uh, relationship that, the, that Israel had corporately with God. Then you move uh, into the New Testament, and you see often uh, this, this affiliation is based on our identity in Jesus Christ. Uh, which, again, makes sense because the church is founded upon Jesus Christ. So in Acts 4.29, that prayer of the disciples, when, uh, when they're facing persecution, he says, Now, Lord, look on their threats. Grant to your servants with all boldness that they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Uh, then... Uh, Interestingly, even in John 17, Jesus himself uh, includes himself in his prayers. Uh, so he says, you know, glorify your son, that your son may also glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Uh, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
Uh, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And so basically, coming before the Father on his own behalf, saying um, you know, he didn't need to pray in someone else's name. Uh, obviously, a special case that doesn't apply to us. But, uh, you know, but Jesus included himself in the prayer. Uh, then, just as, a, as another example, you go on uh, further. In a lot of Paul's prayers, uh, he would say, you know, making reference to our identity in Jesus Christ somehow. Um, so here in Ephesians 3, 14 to 19, um, in, in a prayer for the Ephesian believers. So there's the, the acknowledgement of the relationship to God, the, the corporate affiliation uh, that we just talked about. Uh, so collectively as a group in the Old Testament, Israel, the New Testament on the basis of Jesus Christ. Uh, but then you have the, the personal relationship. Uh, and this is, you know, in a lot of our, our personal prayers, what we'll, what we'll see more often. And, of course, that's going to be dependent on the context of the prayer, the type of prayer that's being prayed. Uh, and so, uh, you know, so you have the example of a sinner before a holy God. So there's this relationship of, of unholy to holy. Someone who has, has fallen short with someone who has set the standard. And uh, first one that comes to mind here from the ones we mentioned earlier is going to be uh, David, Psalm 51.4. Uh, Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak. You may f be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Uh, one I didn't mention, but... Uh, a parable that Jesus tells uh, with the Pharisee and the tax collector. His whole prayer is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And so this relationship of a sinner to a holy God is, is communicated in some of these prayers. Uh, you also see, uh, fairly often, uh, that of a child to a father. Uh, so in setting up the relationship here, uh, there is there's often... The reference to God as our Father. Uh, think right away of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven um, sets, the, sets the tone. Uh, John 17, 1. Jesus, uh, again, talking to his Father. Uh, we're told that, uh, that we can refer to God as our Abba, our, our dear Father. And so in in the context of prayer, that's another form that, that this relationship can take. Uh, and then uh, several times you see uh, the idea of a servant. Uh, so coming before God with, with humility as his servant uh, to a sovereign, who, someone who's in, in charge, someone who is able to, uh, to establish you know, what's going to happen. Um, so you have servants to a sovereign. Uh, this is uh, clearly depicted in Acts 4, 29 to 30. Uh, these are the, the disciples again. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And uh, actually, if we, turn to, if we turn to Acts 4 to get some of that context there, uh, you'll see that, uh, that God's sovereignty is a big, big aspect of their prayer. And uh, I wish we had time to, to talk in, in detail about all of these. Uh, but when they, uh, they pray in, in verses 24 and following, uh, so when they heard that, uh, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord... You are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. And what they're saying here in this, 
in these verses, in this prayer, is they're saying, uh, they start off, you know, praising God. Okay, Lord, you're, you are God. You made heaven and earth. Okay, you're in control. And he said, who by the mouth of David? And then, he, he, and then they quote from Psalm chapter 2, uh, a messianic prophecy, basically showing that they recognize that, you know, this is something the disciples didn't catch before Jesus was crucified, but showing uh, in verses 25 and 26 that God had prophesied that the Messiah would be rejected. And even in that, that seeming twist of, of events where the Messiah who was supposed to be set up as king was rejected, uh, they recognize God's sovereignty. And now, as the early church, they're saying, you know, we understand that, that God had planned this all along. And if even the Messiah was rejected, then why should we expect anything different? Um, and so basically they're saying, God, if in your sovereignty that's how you had Jesus be treated, then do according to us as you want. Uh, but we are your servants. We are submitting to whatever you want to do. Uh, and so they basically they ask uh, for boldness is their only prayer, not for deliverance, not for escape from the persecution, uh, but they ask for boldness because they recognize that God's sovereignty uh, was what led Jesus to the cross. And so they are willing to do whatever it takes uh, in their context as well. <coughs> and so this is just a real uh, potent uh, example of speaking to God uh, as a servant, uh, deferring to his sovereignty. And so as we come before God in certain situations, uh, that's an appropriate, uh, appropriate mindset to bring. Uh, so any of these, depending on what we are praying about, uh, it, is, it is suitable for us to come before God as, as a sinner, to say, God, you are holy, and I'm, I'm just a sinner. I, I've failed you, I've failed you, I've failed you time and time again. Please be merciful to me. Please forgive me. Uh, it's, it's appropriate to come to God as a child comes to his father, and God says, or, and, and say to God, you know, God, I'm, I'm hurting. Please help me. God, I'm, I'm in need. I, I, I really desire this. Is this something that, that you, could, you could allow to happen? It's, it's suitable for us to come before God as servants, before a sovereign, and say, God, I don't know why this is happening, but I can trust that you're in control. And so these are just some of, the, some of the attitudes, some of the mindsets that define the relationship uh, personally between us and the God that we're praying to. Uh, thirdly there, um, we notice that, that this relationship uh, often includes praise, which highlights the distinction between God and the one praying. Uh, so in, in almost all of these prayers, you see a, either a dedicated section of praise or you see, a, uh, you see it sprinkled throughout the prayer, uh, explicitly or implicitly referring to God as, as holy, as almighty, as, as a God who does wonders. Uh, so let's just look at a few examples here. Uh, in David, as he's uh, thanking God for, uh, for this covenant that he's established with him, he says, O oh Lord, there is none like you, nor, there is any, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Saying, there's nobody, there's nobody that can compare uh, to our God. Then he praises him uh, in Psalm 51, even in, in beginning his confessions. Oh, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. He recognizes that God... Um, has this, this character of, of loving kindness according to his mercy. Um, so he, he attributes those things to God. Uh, Solomon, uh, in this, you know, he goes uh, in, in lofty terms. He says, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants, who walk before you with all their hearts. Uh, and then further on in verse 27, uh, but will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much this temple 
which I have built. And you think about the think about the setting of this prayer as Solomon is saying these words, you know, talking about God. He has this incredible temple behind him. Uh, one of the one of the wonders of the ancient world. Solomon's temple there, and all the people are seeing this completed, finished. It's been a, a monumental work uh, for the whole nation to contribute to over not just his reign, but started in, in the time of, of David. And so they're looking back at this, and, David's, or, and Solomon says, basically, you know, this building, this is nothing. I mean, why do you even want to live here? Um, talking to God. And so the praise that, that we see that he gives to God in this context is just, it's painting a picture in front of the nation that God is, is incredible. He's awesome. He doesn't even deserve this best that we can, that we can muster. Um, it's, too, it's not good enough for him. Uh, and then Daniel, uh, in Daniel 9, 4, he says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. Recognizing uh, that God is... Uh, you know, God is great. God is faithful. Uh, God's mercy uh, is upon those who love him, upon those who keep his commandments. So again, you're kind of setting God apart, establishing that relationship uh, in our prayers. We're here, and the one that we're praying to is up here. And, and so as we, <clears throat> as we look at, you know, at prayer, um, you see, first of all, that, that this relationship is established. Somewhere in the prayers, uh, somehow, uh, that there's this relationship established between us and the one that we're praying to. Uh, but also, uh, another thing that, uh, that stood out to me in, in these prayers was, uh, was a commitment to and an understanding of God's Word. And you look at all of these prayers, and they're not, they're not prayed off the cuff. Uh, with just whatever comes into their mind. Um, there is a, an intentionality in the prayers uh, to both uh, include scriptural elements and to reflect the scriptural truths that the people understood. Uh, let's, and, and when I say that, I don't mean that, that it's bad to pray off the cuff. It, it is bad to pray unscripturally, uh, but, uh, and these were, these were more planned out prayers in several cases. Uh, some of them were spontaneous. Some of them were well thought through ahead of time. Uh, but in any case, they show a commitment to an understanding of God's Word. Uh, in Psalm 51, uh, David, you know, shows, the, the, shows that he understood uh, the truths behind his confession. He understood the depths of his sin, uh, as it's referred to in verse 5. Uh, he understood God's ability to forgive. Those theological truths he brought into, into his prayer. Uh, Solomon, uh, number two there. Solomon understood the law that was given to Moses, and he prayed accordingly. Uh, let's just take a look at a couple things. Um, so if you turn over uh, to 1 Kings chapter 8. First Kings 8 and verse 31. So Solomon's in the middle of this prayer, and uh, he makes a lot of these statements. He says, when this happens, then please do this. So God, when, when you see the nation of Israel do this, then please do this. So verse 31 is one of these occasions. He says, when anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before your altar in this temple... Then, hear in heaven and act and judge your servants, condemning the wicked, bringing his way on his head, and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. Um, you look back in the law, verse 15, or Leviticus 19:18, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So he's taking this concept from the law of loving your neighbor. He's applying it in his prayer. You know, when we don't love our neighbor, 
then treat us as we've treated our neighbor. Uh, going forward in this prayer, verses 33 and 34, when your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they've sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and confess your name and pray and make supplication to you, then here in heaven forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave to their fathers. Uh, looking back in the law, Leviticus 26:17, I will set my face against you and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you and you shall flee when no one pursues you. And so, so Solomon is praying, listen, I know that, this, that God has says when we turn away from him, we're going to be defeated by our enemy. And when that happens, turn to God and God, please forgive. One more example from, from Solomon's prayer here. Uh, 1 Kings 8.35 uh, When the heavens are shut up because, and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, then hear from heaven and, and send rain. And you look back in Leviticus 26, 18 and 19, and one of the consequences for turning away from God was that he would make the heavens like iron, the earth like bronze. There would be no rain. Uh, there would be a drought on the earth. And uh, you actually see this playing out in the time of Elijah. Elijah. Um, and so, you know, you see Solomon incorporating the principles from the law into his prayer uh, for Israel. So very scripturally driven, um, his commitment to God's word. Then moving forward, uh, you see Daniel. Daniel understood uh, the exile uh, because he was reading uh, in the law and he was reading in Jeremiah. Uh, Daniel 9, 13, and 14. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. Uh, so another example of bringing scriptural truths uh, into, his, into his prayer. Uh, and then uh, Acts 4, 25 to 29, we talked about that one already. As the, as the disciples understood the prophecies about the Messiah, it affected the way that they prayed for themselves. And so they were praying with a commitment to an understanding of Scripture. All right, number three, before we get into uh, some application then, uh, that there is a predominant focus on the fulfillment of God's plan and his purposes. And this was something that really, that really stood out to me in several of these prayers, that the people who are praying are asking God to do the things that God has already said he wants to do or he is going to do. Uh, which might strike us as funny. Uh, you know, why, why would you pray about something if God's already promised it? But, but look here in, uh, uh, in Daniel. Okay, Daniel asks God to restore the nation after reading of God's promise to restore the nation. Okay, he's reading in Jeremiah. He says, after 70 years, I will restore my people. Daniel says, he does the math. He says, it's been about 70 years. And he says, God... Please restore your people, okay? Uh, in Solomon, okay, you, re you read in the law, God says, when my people turn away from me, I will punish them. And so Solomon in his prayer says, listen, God, when we turn away from you, please punish us, okay? So he's, he's directly saying, listen, God's plan, God's purposes are more important for me to pray for than my comfort, my desires, my, my best plan for this situation. Uh, you see Jesus in John 17, uh, verses 2 and 3. He understood his role in God's plan. He, asks what God, he asked God to do what God has already decided uh, for him to do. Uh, so you might think, well, why would I pray about those things that God has already promised. I mean, God's promises are, are sure, right? Okay. If he's promised it, he's going to do it. So why, why should we get involved? Well, well God, can, God can carry out 
whatever he wants to do. But often in Scripture, he wants to do that through us. He wants us to be involved in what he's doing. And so this is, this is how, we, how we get involved. We say, listen, God, you said you're going to do this. Let's, you know, let's see you do it. And if you want to use me to do part of that, then I am, I am a willing party to that. Um, it's a submission uh, to God to say, God, I would like to be involved in your work as you're doing it. All right, so let's, uh, let's get practical. Uh, what, does this, what does this all mean uh, when, we, when we boil it down to that time that we come before God in prayer? Uh, how should it change the way that we talk to God? Um, first of all, I think uh, it's, it's critical uh, that we take time to praise God for who he is, for what he's doing. The, the focus on, uh, so you, you've, read, you've heard the, uh, the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. Um, the adoration there is not just, it's not just intended as a, as a preface to our prayer. It's not just to, uh, to get us started. Um, it's not just to, to give us some sort of introduction. Uh, it is uh, what sets our mind, what establishes the relationship, as we talked about before. Who are we talking to? Okay, when we're praising God and we're saying, God, you're a God of, of love. You're a God of, of holiness. God, your, you know, your creation reflects a little bit of your power. Okay, it, it helps us to stop and think about, okay, so now when I'm making a request, this is who I'm making it to. Um, and it sets our mind, um, you know, as well as is a, a worship of God, uh, but it, it sets our mind in the right direction. Uh, so here, focus on the attributes of God that pertain to your request. So if I'm going to ask for God to provide something, why don't I talk to God about how uh, he is faithful, how he is, is, has provided in the past, how he you know, is Jehovah Jireh, the God who, who provides. Uh, you know, focus on the attributes of God that, that would pertain to your requests and, uh, and establish that relationship with God. God saying, I'm the one in need, you're the one who can provide I'm going to come, come before you uh, in dependence. Okay, you're not just, it helps you to, to avoid the trap of just, you know, sending your prayers out there. Okay, I'm going to pray. I'm going to say these things. But who are we talking to? Uh, and praise helps us to, to establish that. The second, uh, second principle here, um, practically applying these, uh, was, uh, was interesting to me. Evaluate your requests by telling God why. And, you know, the more I thought about some of the things that I pray for, um, this one was, was convicting. Uh, note how David prays in 2 Samuel 7, uh, 25 to 27. Uh, and this is a parallel passage to, uh, to the one that we, that we looked at um, about God's, you know, initiating the covenant with him. He says, Now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as you have said. So let your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. And then this last line, therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. So David gives a reason. Okay, he, he prays this prayer, and then he says, you know, and this is the reason that I could do it. Um, and so when, you know, when we come before God, if we, if we think about, and maybe even not state it explicitly, but when you're coming before God with a request, you can say, God, please do this. And instead of stopping there, say, because that blank is maybe a little harder to fill in than, uh, than we would like to think. Okay, God, please, you know, for my example, God, please sell my house. 
Okay? So there's the, the caution in James 4.3. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Okay, so for me, uh, I'm praying for the sale of my house. There's a lot of, there's a lot of prayers or reasons that I could give that would be just for my own pleasure. That would be just for me. Uh, but there's also reasons that I could give, you know, for God. You know, God, please do this in a way that shows that this is your desire, this is your plan. God, please show this in a way that confirms your leading. God, please, show, please do this in a way uh, that, that shows how you provide. Uh, if I was honest with myself, you know, God, please do this because that would make my life a lot easier. Um, that's not the appropriate way to pray. And so I think for ourselves, if we ask ourselves this question about our requests, okay, why do you want your cousin, your aunt, to be healed? Okay, is it because sickness is a bad thing? It is. God has already provided a solution to the problem of sickness and death. And that solution will be implemented eventually. Uh, but is there, a, is there another reason? Um, is there something you desire God to do in that situation beyond just making things less, uh, less difficult? So here are some, uh, some guiding questions for this. Um, so as we pray, uh, from what I know of God, what does he want to come from this situation? How do I know that? Okay? Let your... Uh, let your understanding of God affect how we pray for and what we pray for. Uh, second, a very targeted question. Is my request based on my desires or on God's desires? Okay, is my request based uh, on my uh, desire for comfort, my desire for stability, my desire to not have to trust God? Okay, trusting God is, is scary, and so we would like, you know, instead of having to trust God for our daily bread, we would like to buy our bread a week ahead of time uh, to expand that analogy a little bit. Um, is there a promise of God or a statement of Scripture that pertains to the situation? Uh, so, you know, it, has God promised something related to this? Has God promised that, you know, okay, when I come before God and I confess my sins, that is there something God says will happen? Yes. You know, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Well, let's tell him that as we come before him. God, I have, I have sinned. I confess this sin to you. Please do as you said and forgive me and, and cleanse me from this unrighteousness. Okay? So, apply God's promise. And that takes us right into uh, the third application there. Uh, let your Bible reading drive your prayer. Um, one of the big takeaways for, from, from this study through these passages for me was how saturated with God's Word these prayers were. Uh, to get started, you can use Paul's prayers uh, as a model. Uh, here are a couple of them. Uh, Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. Philippians 1, 9 to 11. These are all prayers God says, I'm praying for these people that this would happen. So uh, to get you started thinking along these lines, maybe open up your Bible to one of these passages uh, during your prayer time and say, okay, who do I know that I could pray these things uh, for the people that I love, that I care about, that I know of, uh, who are struggling? Uh, then, you know, going beyond that, uh, something that is... is uh, not specifically a prayer. Some of them are. Uh, but just pick a psalm. Pick Psalm 23. Pick Psalm 1. Uh, say, you know, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. All right, how does that apply to my life? And what do I need to pray about that verse? Uh, how can I praise God from what I know about that verse? How can I, how can this verse affect what I pray for and who I pray for? So let your, let your Bible study um, drive, uh, drive your prayer. Uh, in, your, in your devotional time, 
Okay, often I think we get into this mindset, okay, we do our Bible reading, and then we pray, and then we go about our day. Uh, why not do them simultaneously? Read a verse, pray through the verse, read another verse, pray through the, the verse. Uh, take your Bible study time, if you do, do it sequentially, and take that into your, into your prayer. What did you learn about God that you can praise Him for? So whether this is an explicitly stated truth or something that you observed about it, what did you learn about God that you can praise him for? Oh, what does this passage communicate about God's desires for the situation you're in? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay. What does that communicate about me and my perceived lack? Okay, I shall not lack is a, a you know, better way of understanding that. Uh, so if I'm perceiving that I'm lacking something, then either I understand, I under, either misunderstand what lack is, or I misunderstand who God is, uh, but how can I apply that to my prayer? Uh, what does this passage communicate about God's desires for you or for others you know? Okay, so maybe you, maybe you want to pray for others. Uh, take those scripture passages and extend them to others. Uh, this is, is kind of a, a symbiotic relationship. So the more that you are praying what you're studying in your devotions, uh, it, will do, uh, it will do a couple things. It will help you to pray accurately. Okay, because now your prayers just aren't off the cuff. They are driven by scripture. And at the same time, Actually having to verbalize what the, what the Bible says will help you to understand and apply what you're reading. Okay, there's a lot of times when you, you know, you can read something and you think you understand it. And then what's the real test? When somebody asks you to explain it and you're like, oh, well, that's a little more difficult. So if you're verbalizing the truths that you're learning uh, you're verbalizing them back to God, uh, you actually have to think through about, okay, how does this actually work? And uh, it's a great opportunity to apply what you read in Scripture before you get out into the real world. Uh, you don't know if you know the material until you have to teach it. Uh, so you know, tell it back to God. Say, God, I'm applying this to this situation in this way. Please respond uh, to the prayers. All right, uh, so just... Just to think through this, let's turn to James chapter 1. And we'll do a little practice here. Yeah, this isn't a passage about, or this isn't a prayer, though it does reference the idea of prayer. Uh, so let's read verses 2 through 8. And I want you to think about how you would pray through this passage. So James 1, verses 2 through 8. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. All right, so we'll start out. Start out reading verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Okay, let's answer this question first. Who do you know who's experiencing trials? What is God's desire for them? Okay, so maybe in your mind you have a few, you know, a few names, a few faces uh, that pop into your mind. Okay, what is God's desire for that person? Reading in verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Well, you have something that you know God desires for those people that you're thinking of. So pray for them. 
Pray that God would give them patience as he said he desires to do. And in that patience, you know, it's explained in verse 4, has the idea of or the, the function of growing them so that they are complete and entire people. Then move on to the next concept there. Uh, in what areas do you notice a lack of wisdom in your life? What does God desire to do for you in this case? Or maybe it's easier to think of other people who lack wisdom, okay? That uh, those are maybe more easily come to mind. Uh, so as you think of other people who lack wisdom, uh, ask God for that. It's his desire to give wisdom. So say, God, I need wisdom in this case, and you desire for me to have wisdom, so please help me, you know, Help me to get that wisdom. Now, it's a dangerous prayer because he may use the trials to do it. Uh, but is that the best solution for us? In God's plan, it is. So whether or not it's uncomfortable, whether or not it's dangerous, that is the way that we should be praying. Uh, and then moving on, uh, in what areas do you doubt that God will come through? How does God view that? A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Okay, that's an area to, to identify and to confess, to ask God to help you change, because obviously that is not what God desires. Uh, and so taking, taking a passage like, you know, just a short few verses, uh, anywhere you're reading in Scripture, take the truths from, from those verses and use them in your prayer life. Uh, and then as you, as you do that more and more, uh, it'll, become, it'll become more habitual as you, you have a prayer list, like we give out on Wednesday night, to instead of, uh, instead of praying more generically, as you know, sometimes it's really easy to fall into the rut of doing, uh, you can pray, you can pray biblically and say, God, I remember these passages that I prayed through, and now I need... I need you to apply those in this, in this specific situation for this person. And so I hope this has been helpful for you uh, just to go through um, some of these prayers, some principles from them. Uh, I know God used it uh, in challenging my, my life, my prayer life, and uh, hope that uh, each of us can grow together in this area and, uh, and become more Christ-like as we seek to follow him.